0: My head. I didn't know which way was up or down. Uh. Anxiety had me stressed, but I know that you hold me now. Yeah, I to the wayside. Living life with you, that's, that's the best high. high.
1: Good morning, First Church. I uh, hope everybody's doing well. Um, we are just happy and excited to be with you all again this morning. <clears throat> we are um, ready to get into some worship and get into the Word this morning. Um, and before we get started this morning, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we, um, we're we just thankful, Lord, that we can be together, Lord, um, this morning um, to meet like this and to uh, come together in worship, Lord, even from afar. Um we just, we know that um, that you are here with us, Lord, um, even in our homes and, and those of us who are here, Lord, also, and we're just excited and ready to worship you, Lord. We ask that um, this morning we could just um, focus on you, Lord, and um, make this time about um, being with you, Lord, about worshiping you um, and just focusing on um, all that you are to us, Lord. And so we ask that you bless our time together, Lord, that you would um, open our hearts, Lord, to Um, Just be ready to communicate with you, Lord, to receive from you, and just to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning, God. Amen.
0: We won't fear the battle. We won't fear the night. We will walk the valley. If you by our side. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will sing of the good.
1: for this time that we've had to worship we ask that you would continue to um, leave our hearts open as we hear the word this morning thank you lord amen we're going to take a short break right now so we can reset the stage Um, please go grab a cup of coffee or a snack and come right back and we'll be back in just a minute thanks
2: Hey everybody, good to have you here this morning with us electronically and I'm glad to be able to share with you some scripture and just some things that uh, I see from scripture that we can apply to our lives. Before we get started, I just wanted to let you know my coffee cup this morning is my, the uh, Oreo, we've had this one a long time, the Oreo coffee cup, the breakfast of champions. So, hope you're having your coffee, whatever drink you'd like to have and you're comfortable and we're going to... uh, look at scripture. We're going to look at a passage that uh, I like. Uh, it's just it's one of the lo- longest passages on, a f- on family relationships and wisdom. And we're going to talk about this because for a lot of people now, you know, your kids are at home. Uh, you're spending a lot of time together, couples and all of this be- it- it enforced upon us. And so I think about times where this has happened in my life. I remember one time I was, I was with the kids. Uh, they were real little. And uh, one of my daughter's came up to me and said, Daddy, let's play a game. Let's play a game. And I said, okay, what do you want to play? And, and she said, let's play, let's play house. Let's play tea party. And I was like, okay, I'll play tea party with you. And so she said, I will be the mummy and you be the little baby. And I said, okay, I can do that. And so she came up to me and she said, you know, okay, baby, it's time to have a tea party. So let's all go over, and I looked over, and there's a little table, and there's some cups on it, and there's some little dolls sitting in chairs um, waiting for this. And I said, I don't want to go to a tea party I don't like tea. And I started acting like I was crying. And I said, I don't like Barbie. She's an inappropriate (laughs) ideal that our culture uses to enslave women and girls to unattainable body standards. I don't like Barbie. And I don't like tea. And I laid on the floor and I started kicking my feet and hammering on the floor, pitching a fit. And she said, Daddy, this isn't how the game goes. I'm the mummy and you're supposed to obey me and i said oh listen honey this is exactly how this game goes why because we've all had that right we've all dealt with that we're all dealt with areas of raising kids getting married f- forming relationships with a spouse forming relationships at work or with friends or with neighbors all of these things this passage is going to speak to now it speaks specifically to children but the application goes way beyond that and i'm no expert right but i've been married a long time a great long time. I want to add, and uh, I have some ideas that may be on things we should do and shouldn't do. Now, these are ideas that we can impl- implement now. Uh, maybe some we may look back and wish we'd impl- implemented them earlier, but that's okay. Don't dwell on that. Just say, "What can I do now?" All right? Because it works with kids, it works with grandkids, it works with spouse, it works with coworkers, and this applies in all areas of relationships. So, if you don't have kids, don't say this doesn't apply to me because it does. All right. So it's a long passage from Genesis 25, and we're going to show parts of it. But you can you can uh, grab that, your Bible, and, and look it up and see some of the passages, some of the verses I have to refer to, but not necessarily quote. And this is a story on how to not do these things. There's all sorts of wrong things, and we want to contrast them with how we should do them. And I am not being superior here. This is no position of superiority. I look back, I see myself in this, and I wish I could have done better. So we're going to talk about relational wisdom. We're going to talk about God uh, in the family, and but broaden it to all areas of life, okay? And, and when we, as we do that, I just want to remind you something setting this up, okay? We're in the story. <coughs> we're seeing here uh, Isaac and Rebekah. We're seeing Jacob and Esau. Now, when uh, Rebekah got pregnant, and she was pregnant with twins— uh, God gave her a prophecy, and the prophecy was that the younger will, will rule over the older. The younger will be elevated over the older. In other words, as this moves on, the younger will receive the blessing to lead the clan, to be the decision maker, to be the one whom authority flows through in the clan. Now let's look at this. This is from uh, Genesis 25. All right? When the time came for her to give birth... There were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. Now, Esau means hairy, so they kind of named him that way. Uh, Just the first tip on child wearing, don't name your child after an unattractive feature of them. In other words, you know, don't name your child proboscis because they have a big nose all right? That's just common sense. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. And that Jacob means the one who grasps, the grabber, who grabs the heel. It it also means the supplanter, the one that takes authority from and becomes over. So it's it's very key. I think, you know, obviously Isaac is the one who named them. And you wonder already if Isaac's uh, Isaac, some of what he's thinking is leaking out and how he named his son, okay? So Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents, all right? So now we're going to look at something. We're going to look at three easy steps for ruining a family. All right, if you want to ruin a family, here's three easy ways. Just practice this right away and it will do it. The first one is play favorites. Now, we're going to come out on a verse in the Bible that to me is one of the saddest verses in the Bible Genesis 25, 28. I saw Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. All right, do you see already what's happening? If you want to ruin a family, don't play favorites, and this is already happening. If you want to mess up a family, pick one over the other. Contrast and compare between your kids. Love one, hold affection from the other, and you will inflict wounds that will last for a lifetime. And some of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This has happened in your life. You have had this done to you, and you are still struggling with the fallout from being treated in that way in your life. Pick one over another. Compare one to another, contrast them, and you will see it, it will it will ruin one. Esau, obviously, he's a person. He was athletic. He had quick reflexes. He had a keen eye. You know, it says it says he's a man of the open country. He would be be like a ranger. I mean, he's he's courageous. He's strong. In our days, we would say he played all the sports. He was the first one chosen when people picked up teams, and he fed his dad's his dad's ego. Just like in many households in our, uh, in, in our country that idolize sports, and a child who plays sports feeds, feeds that ego. A number of my kids played in some competitive sports, and I just always realized in some of the more competitive areas of sport, every parent there thought their kid was going to be a pro. Every parent there thought their kid was the best or had the potential to be better than all the rest because they idolized them and they lived through them. And Isaac loved Esau. And he would look at Jacob, and you can just imagine. And I know this is somewhat imagining, but I'm sure this played out in certain ways in that area. Just thinking, how did that kid, how's that my kid? Saying to him, why do you just sit around at the tents all day? Why don't you go outside? Why don't you play with the other kids? But Jacob didn't want to. Maybe he'd been chosen last once too often. But he had the wrong temperament to suit his dad. His dad had, had these expectations. His dad had these ideals. And, ja- and, and, and Esau was living up to them. And Jacob wasn't. And so his dad was disappointed. He loved Esau. He loved Esau. He had the wrong temperament to suit his dad. But he knew who the favorite was. Kids always know that. They always know Who loves who? So Isaac loved Esau. And Rebekah loved Jacob. And you could see how this can happen. She's starting to compensate. She sees what's going on. Maybe because he stayed home more, he stayed around the tents more, and his interests were more there, that appealed to her. And so now the fault lines are drawn, right? And if you want to mess up a family like these two parents did, play favorites. Direct love more one way than the other. And they will see it they will notice it. So what's the flip side of that? Obviously, the flip side is honor each person for who they are. Now, if right now you're looking back and you're feeling a little disappointed about this, maybe you look back on your life and you say, oh, I've made some terrible mistakes there. I've done that too. I look back, I've seen mistakes that I've made, but it's not too late. You can start doing it even if your children are grown. You can start saying, honoring them for who they are and not playing favorites. You know, it's like the three laws of real estate, location, location, location. The three laws of relationship are observation, observation, observation. If you love someone, if you care for someone, whether it's a husband or a wife or it's your children or it's, it's, it's neighbors or it's coworkers, friends, whatever it is, become a student of that person. What are they like? What do they like? What are they afraid of? What are they really good at? What gives them life? What are they drawn to naturally? Instead of, instead of trying to mold them into what you want them to be, honor that person for, for the person God has made them to be. You know, when my kids were young, I had these ideas on how I would shape them and how I would mold them, and I found out mostly they're pre-wired. I had less influence than I thought I would. I would try sometimes, maybe to engineer one. <laughs> one time, I tried to engineer this daddy moment. You know, I come up to one of my daughters' bed uh, at night as they're getting ready to go to bed and fall asleep. You know, and I just remember saying, "I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad that I get to be your dad. I'm thankful that you're my child." And she looked up at me and she said, I love you, Daddy. You're the best Daddy ever. So I'm walking out of her room and I'm like, I got this. I got this. It's like a little Hallmark card moment. It was me. You know, and I'm just going, yeah, Dad of the Year award coming. So I go into my son's room and I say the same thing. You know, I love you so much. I'm proud of you. I'm glad to be your dad. I'm so thankful you're my child. And he looks at me intently and I'm thinking, oh, man, I can't wait to hear what he says. And he says, Daddy why do you have that big red mark on your forehead? And all of a sudden I realized I have to explain to him about zits. And he wanted to know all about them. And I spent like 10 minutes, where did they come from? Why did they happen? Why did I get one? Why doesn't he get one? He wants to get one. And I was like, Joe, oh, just wait, they're coming. But you see, a totally different response because it's a totally different kid. They're just wired different. And I could get all upset about why he have to... But I have to understand, my kids are different. My job as a dad is, was and is not to engineer moments that make me feel good. That's not my job. My job is to celebrate my, my children. When they were little, that was my job, and now as they're grown, that's my job, to learn about them, to coach them, to celebrate what God meant them to be. Not mold them into some little alter ego that I want. We have to be careful because we could do harm I hear that sometimes when people say, well, Mike here is our different one. And you're like, oh, man. What does Mike think about that? Or Susie's just not as athletic as her sisters. This is that compare and contrasting. We don't even get where we got Tommy, right? What is that saying? Subtly, what's coming across? Even if it's said in a jesting tone, the message could be clear. This child is kind of a disappointment. This kid doesn't make me feel like a winner. You know, parents, we have to do this. We have to express affection. We have to express appreciation on a regular basis. Tell your children you love them. Even if it's awkward and you're not naturally good at that, or even if it's awkward for them and they don't know how to respond, it doesn't matter how they respond, because that's not your job. Your job is not to get a response that makes you feel good. If I'm the parent, my job is not to fill up my neediness with their responses. Only God can fill my neediness. I'm supposed to be building up their hearts. And this is, a couple of, this is a story where there's a couple of sons who they didn't get from their parents what they desperately needed to hear, and it ruined both of them. And so as we move on the story, we say three easy steps for ruining a family. First one is play favorites. The second one is allow deceit. Allow deceit in the home. Okay, so now where are we at in this story? Isaac has gotten very old now. He's basically blind. He's losing his his senses. He's losing touch, right? And so he calls his favorite son, Esau. And he tells him, now get your weapons, your quiver and bow, and go out into the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. So what's going on here? He knows he's close to death. He, he calls his oldest son in, and he says, give me my favorite meal. I'm, I know That's the one thing I want to have before I die. Give me that favorite meal, and I'll give you my blessing. Now, there's a key thought here then. God has already told them who's supposed to get the blessing. God has already told them who's supposed to rule the clan. And Isaac is trying to overturn that. He's trying to, he's trying to cut the corner there. Because this blessing is a big deal. It affects their spiritual destiny. It affects their relational destiny. It affects their financial destiny. And so he does something that that he knows God does not want him to do. He calls Esau, and he's going to give him the blessing. He's going to shut Jacob out. He doesn't tell Rebecca this. This is just between him and Esau. Remember what we said, allowed a seat in the home. Well, she happens to hear it. We don't know if she planned to eavesdrop. She heard him call for Esau. She knew he was close to death. Maybe she went and kind of listened. Maybe it was accidental. But here's the thing. Once she heard it, she has a choice. She has a choice. She can march into that room and say, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about what you're doing. We need to talk about what God told us. Or her other choice is to go the deceitful route, just like her husband is, to go that route and devise a plan. So there's this incredible lack of communication between Isaac and Rebekah. There's favoritism. There's misguided love. There's manipulation. <clears throat> They're killing their family, and they never talk about it. They see each other doing it, and it's the elephant that's in the room that no one wants to talk about. And so she calls her son, This, this just kind of b- pulling it together quickly, she calls her son, Jacob, and says, we need to deceive your father. You go kill a couple goats. I'll make some of that goat burger casserole that he really loves. And, and you go in and you pretend that you're Esau, and he'll give you the blessing. You're supposed to get this blessing. He'll give it to you. Now, how did Jacob respond? Well, he could have said, you know, Mom, I can't do that. That's deceit. Let's not do that. Let's see what God does. Allow God to work here. And she goes, no, no. But he doesn't say that. He just says this. Hey, Mom, you know what? He's a hairy guy. I'm a smooth-skinned guy. He'll know the difference. I'll get caught. But she's way ahead of him. She's already planned this out. She's got Esau's clothes. He's going to put on hairy stuff and clothes. His father's old and feeble. He's blind. He'll never know the difference. And so he goes in to do that. It's like a scene in the movie. He's trying to do that before his older brother gets home and catches him, you know, and so there's tension there. And so here's what happened. He went to his father and said, my father. Yes, my son, he answered. Who is it? Okay, he's so old, even hearing, he's struggling with all of that. And so he says to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God gave me success, he said. So what's going on here? There's a lot in this little little bit here. Notice he says, I am Esau, your firstborn. (laughs) Jacob knows, I mean, uh, Isaac knows who Esau is. But we see now, this is leaking, this bitterness is leaking out of Jacob. It's this, I am Esau, you know, your firstborn. You can almost see him saying, the one you love, the one you always pay attention to, the one you're always so excited about, the one that when he returns from a trip, you get so excited and your eyes light up. Every kid wants to make their parents' eyes light up, make their father's eyes light up, make their mother's eyes light up. And he's sitting there thinking, the firstborn, your firstborn, the only one that counted, the only one that counted. So he's leaking this this bitterness. And then he says, you know, when he says, uh, how did you get it so quickly? He says, the Lord, your God. Esau never passed. He never seemed to maybe even try to pass his faith down to his son. And so Esau blesses, I mean, Isaac Bless, I'm going to get these names mixed up a lot, you guys. Isaac blesses Jacob. He, he gives him the blessing. And so we come to this dramatic part. Esau returns. And he goes to his father. And his father goes, is saying, what? I already blessed you. And Esau realizes it was his brother Jacob. And he says, Esau pleaded, not one blessing left for me. Oh, my father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. And now we get to the irony of deceit. Isaac sets out with this sneaky sneaky plan where he's going to give his blessing only to Esau and he ends up giving it to Jacob. Rebekah sets out to manipulate things for Jacob, for him to get the blessing. And we see in this story what happens next. What happens next is Jacob has to leave and she never sees him again. He's gone for over 20 years. She dies without seeing her beloved son again because of the way she manipulated and was deceitful. She never sees him alive again. You want to mess up a family, keep secrets. Shade the truth. Learn how to manipulate people. Learn how to pretend. And the reality is, in every family, just so you know, I'm not on my high horse on this, every family can deal with struggling with the truth, struggling with not being deceitful, struggling with manipulation. Some years ago, I had a time with one of my children where I was pretty sure they had crossed a line and done something, and they were denying it. And uh, it was... uh one of those moments, you know, all parents deal with this. You don't have the smoking gun, in a sense, but but all the uh, circumstantial evidence points to one person. So you're pretty cl- clear you know who it is. And so I'm talking to this kid, and I'm talking to her, and I said, I'm I, I, like cross-examining her like in some movie, you know, like I'm a, like a, like a lawyer, you know. I'm trying to trap her in her lie. And uh, and she's pretty savvy. I was having a tough time. So, so I could see, you know, at one point trying to manipulate me. She looked at me with these his eyes and just so such deep hurt and like a quiver in the voice and and said daddy don't you trust me do you think i would lie to you and my first thought is oh no i don't think he would but then i thought yes yes i think you would lie to me you bet your life i do sometimes i try not to and i do your mom she lies all the time no, I just, no, that's not true. I didn't say that part. I didn't say that part because I have to go home. Um, <clears throat> most, I think mostly you tell me the truth, but lying is not beyond you because it's not beyond any of us. So I was telling her, it's, it's not beyond any of us. You know, you think about it. Think about our country. The most famous story about lying in American history is what? It's about George Washington and the cherry tree, right? And that, by, that was from a biography that was written by a man named Parson Weems in, in, in the 1800s, way after he had died, and he made that story up. The most famous story in American culture about not lying is a lie. Think about that. Anybody who says they're ne- they never lie, they're lying. And so this is what happens. We struggle with this. We can struggle with this at various levels for every. You want a great family, cling to the truth. Be tenacious about it. Admit when you lie. Admit when maybe you've stretched it, when you've been, to, been deceived deceitful hold on and tenaciously go for the truth but do it in love because you know as well as i do some people can use truth as a weapon and beat people down with it so we have these unhealthy dynamics going on in this family unhealthy dynamics that are ruining this family and what do we have you have to bring it up when you see things like that happen you have to bring it up think about how different it might have been for rebecca and isaac if at some point they'd had a conversation and Rebecca says, you know what? I think you favor Esau. And Isaac says to Rebecca, well, you know what? You seem to favor Jacob. And they got together and they said, what's going on here? What can we do about this? How can we change this? How can I learn, for each one of them, how can I learn to manage my emotions? How do I learn to give love even when my feelings fluctuate and I don't feel like getting love? Because it can be done. It can be done think if they'd have done that how that could have turned out differently god could have worked and made those two boys best friends and allowed his plan to develop without the conflict that came because of it so problems must be named and problems must be talked about this is true this is true in a family this is true in all kinds of relationships deceit manipulation those are out of bounds for people who name the name of christ we should not be that way with people no matter what the relationship is. We can practice pain avoidance or we can decide to love people. And if you wait until the stakes are too high, if you wait until the blessings are on the line, the truth will not be there for you. It's not going to be in you to do it because you've, over years of making certain decisions, you've changed it. You have to reverse that and start working in the opposite direction. Because here's the thing, why do we most of the time we lie? Most of the time people lie, people are deceitful because they're trying two things, it's just two. They're trying to avoid pain, or they're trying to get something that is not going to come to them in a more appropriate way. It's not coming to you, so you want it. So you work the truth, you deceive, you manipulate to get it. Or there's a painful thing coming, and so you work it to avoid it. Like even, even sometimes with little things. I just don't want to have to deal with this issue. So I tell a little, we call them white lies, right? And so if you want to mess up a family, play favorites. Allow deceit in the home. Learn to hide. Learn to pretend. Learn to shade the truth. And the third one is don't teach anger management. Because if you've been in a family, you know this is a part of being in a family. There's going to be anger. And anger and conflict. And mismanaged resentment are big themes in this passage. And so we see Esau's response when he realized what's happened, and it's the culmination of years of response. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him, and he said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And so what is he doing? He's acting out of anger. Even though earlier in his life he expressed a disdain for his birthright, he acted like it wasn't even important to him. And now he's willing to murder over it. And we have no sign in his life or his brother's life that the kids sat them down and said, Look, the parents sat them down and said, Look, there are things that are appropriate and there are things that are inappropriate. If you want to mess up a family, don't teach people how to deal with their anger. And there are times in children's lives when anger issues tend to spike. You know, one comes early, like around two, you know, when your child learns how to say no. And then you begin to teach your child there are appropriate no's and there are inappropriate no's. You know, if if one of your siblings says, can I eat your dessert, you're allowed to say no, that's an appropriate no. But when a parent says it's time to go to bed and you say no, that's an inappropriate no. And so you're learning. They need to to understand what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. Because there will be a time when they will need to say no to things. And a strong no will be important. So that happens around two. Then things kind of normalize, you know, around three-ish or so. And the next spike is around 13. 13 when their hormones go crazy. And that spike lasts like... 30 or 40 years they just stay in it for a long period of time and you see your child i mean for for many of you 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 have teenagers uh if you just have little children it's coming this is something to look forward to you see your child and that cute little child suddenly has multiple personalities and you're not sure which will come out And their voices aren't always theirs and you just go who am i dealing with here this is not the person i knew for all these years for 12 years I thought I knew you, and now you've turned into this. And so when we talk about building a family, we have to understand there are spikes, there are times when it's going to get especially difficult to deal with these things, and we have to redouble our efforts, and we have to not give in to the temptation you know, to, to, to begin to be deceitful or to manipulate. And we have to train and teach them how to deal with anger, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. Of course they'll get mad at each other. You know, but some things are out of bounds are inappropriate in dealing with that. And every time there's a problem, it's an opportunity to teach about how to manage anger. And make sure you affirm them when they do it right. Saying, look, I know you're upset. I appreciate how you handled that. Now, when we talk about this, I know this is an opportunity for all of us to, especially those of us who are older, to look back and feel guilty. But here's the thing that's so, to me, in this passage and in our lives that's so important. And we say that. When we say, everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect. And what's the third thing? Anything is possible when God is involved. And that's the key in this story. Anything is possible when God is. This is a disaster of a family leading to a murder. That's where it's heading. And yet, God is still involved. And this is key. You may have screwed up and your life, parts of your life, maybe a large part of your life. God says, okay, admit that to me. Deal with it with people that you've, you've hurt or whatever, and move on because God can still work. God can still work. And what do we do? In this passage, he works on Esau and he works on Jacob. Jacob has, has to leave. He has to run for his life. I mean, I, this is why I think Rebecca probably regretted her decision for the rest of her life because Jacob had to run for his life. She never saw him again. He runs for his life. He has these encounters with God along the way. He meets his uncle Laban, and he's shown what it's like to be on the receiving end of deception. Jacob deceived, and suddenly someone deceives him, and he gets a taste of it. He goes to character school. And finally, he decides the right thing to do is to go back, to go to Esau. This is after 20 years, 30 years, you know, a long period of time. He's going to go back to his brother, the big, strong hunter, the one who said the last time he saw him i'm going to kill you." And so he thinks and he prays and he decides on a course, and he becomes committed to solving the problem. He even pays restitution, you know, a kind of way of paying back of paying back kind of how he got stuff for for getting the blessing. And so the first thing he does is he sends him gifts. He sends him a bunch of animals. I'm not going to read the passage. Basically, it's uh, 220 goats, 220 lambs, 30 camels, 30 donkeys, 40 cows, 10 bulls, and a cat. He sends them ahead to Esau. Actually, he didn't send him a cat. I just made that up because that would have ruined the gift if he had sent a cat. So they meet. And what does Jacob do? Scripture makes it clear he bows seven times in an expression of humility and repentance. And they embrace and they weep. And all those wasted years as enemies, they become brothers again. Why? Because God's still involved. God orchestrated this. God can heal the deepest wounds. I don't know how wounded you are, but God can heal. God can change character. I don't know how messed up your character is, but God can change it. He can can rekindle love. He can make it come back. Jesus can do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And this family, these two brothers, here's the bottom line. They got a whole lot wrong, but they got one thing right. They allowed God to work. God God involved. They reconciled, and they were brothers again. They embraced, and they loved each other. They're brothers again. So, easy steps for ruining a family. Play, for ruining any relationship play favorites allow deceit in the home and don't teach anger management now maybe a little bit of homework now we have a lot of time at home more than we used to so for parents for husbands for wives for friends whatever it is, what is God be thinking what does God want to do in my family how does God want to use me in my family what specific abilities has he given me What responsibilities has he given me? And then be thinking, is there a favoritism issue? Because I want to tell you something. If there is, even a slight one, it leaks out in subtle ways and kids pick up on it. Is there deceit that needs to be dealt with? Dealing with deceit creates trust. Even though you have to admit it, and even though it may take some time, it makes a person know that you're willing to even bring up the things that could hurt you deeply? Is there conflict that needs to be resolved? Are there things that are being swept under the rug, things that are being ignored? Because when you sweep things under the rug, what happens? They don't go away. You just have a big pile of problems under the rug. And sooner or later, that rug gets pulled back and everything gets exposed. You need to deal with those things. You need to deal with those things. Those are some things to think about today. Maybe moms and dads, maybe you get a little time today and you just kind of say, "Hey, is this something we need to work on? How are we doing? Maybe you're doing great. I hope so." I hope so. Maybe you're a new mom or a new dad and you can think, "Okay, what can we do to prevent this from happening? How can we how can we raise this child in a way that encourages them to be the best they can be?" And finally, I want to say this because this is so hard, I know. If you're a single parent, You have the hardest job in the world. And I just want to say, we're glad. We're glad that you have committed yourself to doing what you're doing. And as a church, we cheer for you. We honor you as you try to honor God in your family life. And if there's anything we can do to help, please let us know. We would love to be a part of that. So, always remember... When we talk about this, playing favorites, allowing deceit in the home, don't teach anger, man. There's, there's ways we can screw up relationships, but there's always hope when God is involved. There's always hope so that we can begin to change and then model it for our children, for our parents, for our neighbors. And, and in, in some ways, I think that's already happened. I'm getting reports from people who are modeling, modeling for their children, modeling for their neighbors what it is to love God in the midst of this coronavirus and how, ways to, to reach out and serve and help people. And we appreciate those that are trying to find those ways. We encourage you to keep praying. God, what do you want? How do you want to use me? Maybe you just want to make me pray for certain people. Then, God, help me bring those people to my mind. I'll pray for them. Maybe you want me to serve them in some way. God, show me how to serve them. Because this is important. As we look over this, it's important to us to build healthy relationships that honor and glorify God in the way that we behave towards one another. And it is so easy. So to, look, so to look for the easy way out, to try to cut corners, and yet ultimately in the long run, that doesn't glorify God. Again, we encourage you, you can go to our website, there's lots of, uh, of uh, opportunities and materials there, and, and as we get information from groups and ways they could use help, we post them on our website, you can look at that. We, we appreciate those that are getting involved in those things. And we thank you for continuing to give and supporting the missionaries we support and and supporting this church to be able to function even when no one's here. We appreciate that. And uh, we appreciate the way you take this seriously. Let me close in prayer and then we'll be done. Father, thank you for this time. God, thank you for your word. Lord, help us to take it to heart. But Lord, help us to take more than anything else the encouragement to heart that when God is involved, anything is possible. Our greatest mistakes you can use to glorify your name. So Lord, help us to, to be encouraged by that and to work towards that. Help us to be people who are without deceit, people who who, who don't comp, uh, compare and contrast with others, and help us to be people who have learned are learning how to a- manage our anger and admit it when we don't. And as we do that, Father, we show the hope that there is in Jesus. And the way he can change our lives. We thank you that we can look forward to that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining this morning, joining with us this morning. God bless you, and hopefully, we'll see you again.